Hey guys, welcome to episode 155 of the podcast with my guest, the marvelous and stunning Kimberly Brooks. What an inspiring and amazing woman. I uh, I shall continue to endeavor to be as bright and talented as uh, as is she. And I wanted to use fancy English to express that, guys. I think I did a pretty good job. Now, as you may know, I am recording this um, in advance of my trip to Australia and New Zealand. So I have just a couple of shout outs. I'll get caught, caught up on more shout outs when I get back. Um, so looking forward to meeting those of you who are on uh, that side of the world while I'm there. Uh, I can't wait. As you know, I love Australia and New Zealand. I'm going to be going to places that I know and love. I'm also going to be going to Sydney for the first time. Can't wait. Uh, I hope you enjoy this episode, guys. And I want to thank uh, Carolina and Benjamin, Ashley R. and Holly for your emails. And uh, again, I will catch up on more soon. Um, I am so delighted and thrilled to be doing the Thrilling Adventure Hour in um, Australia, New Zealand. And also, I did not intentionally use the word thrilled uh, to describe that. So that just goes to show I'm a bit dumb and a bit dim. Uh, But I think you guys are terrific. Enjoy the episode. Now entering Nerdist.com. Uh, I'm already recording, just so you know. So, uh, but I, uh, like an hour. Have you been like recording this whole time? Nope, just started. Oh, okay, just started. And then, if you just will hold the microphone, kind of like you know, as if you're doing a show. I guess you can, you know, like as this? long as you're consistent. That way, the sound doesn't sort of drop out and drift too much. Got it. Um, and hopefully, you'll get used to this weird sort of like, are you doing a stand-up show but on a couch, comfortably <laughs> positioned in my fair home? Um, welcome, Kimberly. Thank you so much for doing the podcast. Boy, this has been in the making for a very long time indeed. I think I feel like it's been a year and a half. I'm going to say it's been longer because I know when I met you at HuffPost Live... That's that when we like met. I, I was thinking at An- Annie's uh, yeah. Annie Lappin's gallery yeah. opening. No, that was a re-meet because Abe Foreman Greenwald That's right. and I were we we were sort of like we always wanted to be paired together when I was at HuffPost Live because I just adore him and I he's interested in like a lot of sort of human interest stuff. Um, he's amazing. Was what I was kind of passionate yeah. about when I was there, and uh, and so yeah, so that was the sort of beginning of like oh well. Let's get that going, and then you and I were never in the city at the same time. You're extremely busy, and and it just hasn't happened until now. But this is we have that huge um, barrier called the four four oh five between us. It's You're like the Great Wall of apart. China. We're worlds apart. It really does become. I mean, listen, this is not a podcast about traffic in Los Angeles, but it really that's a hundred percent true. Like, I, I think don't see I think anyone we should definitely go to that Saturday Night Live skip where they start playing a wine commercial music and then we pause and look in the mirror. <laughs> Let's get right into yeah. it. Let's get right into it. As and apt. then I took San Vicente. Oh, down God. The, yeah. I know. Well, that was like a, this, I think that was a, this American, there was a, there was a segment in this American life um, where one of the producers was speaking to their very sort of proper stylish, uh, mother who would was went off on a kind of a list of things that it's absolutely improper to discuss at some, at a dinner party and she I think top of her list is how did you get to the party 
Like, like when she said, the, the, "There's nothing more horrible and sort of gauche than someone saying, well, you know, we took, we were going to get on the 101, and then when the traffic was horrible, she just says that's just a, there couldn't be a larger waste of, of everyone's time." Yeah, I, I actually have a derivative of that where when I see people that I haven't seen in a while, and they tell me how. Oh, I sent you an email and then, oh, but I left a voicemail here. Did you get it? And they spend like 10 minutes talking about all the ways they were trying to reach me uh-huh. and all the various t- electronic out. Did you get my Facebook? Uh-huh. Well, how about this? We're talking now. Yes. You know? yes. No, so, that's a really yeah. good point. <laughs> that is like, that's sort of the age that we live in now is the sort of like need to connect on all levels, but I, but also that becomes the easiest thing to sort of miss for me. You know, I can't, anytime someone contacts me on any form of social media, other than just like a straight email into my inbox, I typically respond very, very late. And I'm always like, please don't ever write me here again. I can't organize the different places that I'm being contacted because I don't trust myself with my responsibility. I completely, I'm with you a hundred percent. You know? Yeah. And then there's old-fashioned letters. I know. Oh, beautiful I receive letters. them occasionally. I do, too. And it's really, it's really quite amazing. Or do you ever receive them from people younger under than 30? A exactly. That's exactly what I'm asking. Um, I, re- I teach uh, painting at Otis, and I have a student named Brittany who wrote me the most beautiful three-page letter oh. about what the class has meant to her, and it was on binder paper on both sides and it brought tears to my eyes. I read it like three times. I, I'm going to put it in a, it's, it just was, it was so beautiful that, uh, it really touched me. So yeah, I did. And she's under 30. So that was an aberration, but she's, I mean, so, but not, not typically. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to teach my, we have two kids, 15 and 16 to write thank you emails. Now, thank you notes is, I think, that's a great idea. And I love paper and I'm really into it. Yeah. But just, and, and the truth is if I host a dinner party, which I do a lot, yeah. you know, I like, I'm on the high from it the next day. I love getting that. Hey man, that was great last yes. night. That's really all I need. Yes. If I get a card two weeks later or a week later, I'm like, oh yeah. Oh yeah. They're grateful. That's whatever. But <laughs> right. you know, so thank you emails I think are totally acceptable. Yeah. I yeah. even get like I have a I host this salon discussion group that I haven't brought up on the podcast in a while, but um, that Abe, our mutual friend Abe mm-hmm. Foreman Greenwald, that we both know from Huffington Post, is on is in um, uh, where we sort of meet once a month, and uh, a different person there are ten of us, and a different person presents on uh, some sort of topic. The more obscure, the better, ideally. But if there's something really fresh in someone's life, something that they're really passionate about or interested in, um, that's also perfectly you know fine for them to do but um but i i have one member of that salon who almost always sends me a text like 30 minutes after we've met and it's so sweet that's the very idea touching. that he's still carrying with him the idea that like he had a great evening and you know and that he appreciated me hosting it which i always do because if i don't host it there's a really good chance i will flake out because <laughs> there's something else will happen right. and, or you know um and I, and I agree that there's, well, that's kind of the immediacy, like making the adjustment to the immediacy of communication now is I just realized that's something that like for as much as I sort of go, well, I, this, I don't know. I mean, I like a good old fashioned letter. Everything you just said about getting it like a week and a half later when it's sort of done with in the and old then days, and then that's the what as- would happen. There would no, be, there would be no immediate. And then there's the aspect of the trees. Now that said, yeah. 
That said, I carry around a sketchbook with me where I hand draw in my calendar. Mm-hmm. So I have everything in one place, a date book, a sketchbook, and a, like to keep That's my great. what I do. And so I'm really in, I think the act of writing, I know we're segueing violently into, That's we're careening off the it's road all right this now. Is. It's a series <laughs> of segues. But I think that um, mark making is such a primal, Oh, I love it's such this. a primal, important uh, act. And it, it's, it, if you think about technology as just different distances away from the initial source, which is you as a person, maybe it's like you make a phone call or you send an email or, you know, I think writing something down by your own hand on a piece of paper, the coarser, the better, like a sketch paper, you know, that has a texture to it is one of like the most you know, amazing things you can do. And, um, and I, I, by the way, I even prefer a sketch pad to moleskins. I could write an, I could write a novel about the subject of notebooks, but, um, my kids are discovering because they've grown up in this world where they take their notes on a computer a lot of the times. Yeah. And then that brings up the whole issue is, are they really on? Well, they don't go on Facebook because that's where all the parents are, but uh-huh. are they really on are, are they really on wherever they are? Right. But my 16-year-old son just recently announced to me, you know, I'm going to start taking notes by hand because it uploads better. <laughs> and I think that there's just this, I think the act of writing is yeah. coming back big time, like I by hand. love everything you're saying. I agree. I mean, and that's, and that's really good to hear about younger people because I don't usually have people who are in their teens on the podcast, but I certainly have a ton of teen listeners. And so bless their hearts when I get these nice notes from people, always emails. Although, you know what? Sometimes I get full-on fan mail that's handwritten because I've expressed that I enjoy that. And guys, I love that. And I'm always very moved when I get it. Um, but it's nice to hear from the source that that's something that you're observing is not just like an, a couple of older generations of people who are like hoping that happens, but to actually have young people saying like, you know what? Because I still feel like even just like, and obviously we're both in fields that kind of allow for a certain amount of you know tactile focus or um, just sort of like free spiritedness of things you can kind of imagine holding on to those old ways. I'm putting that in gross air quotes, but um, when I'm <laughs> trying to memorize lines and stuff, nothing works better for me than writing the lines down in my own hand on a separate piece of paper. It cements in my brain so differently than any other way of putting something to memory. I mean, it really does. It's like it becomes your own. And I think that's not just true for, you know, lines on a script, but for taking notes in class, for doing other things that somehow the, the, the taking of it back, it's almost like you digest it in and then you, then you put, you spit it back out, but you've, you've now connect, you've created a loop. Like there's a link now between you and whatever it is that, you needed to connect with you. You engrave it on your gray matter. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Gray matter engravings. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I think that, well, did you ever read the book, the power of habit? Mm -mm. It's a really fascinating book about, uh, and I, I admit I didn't read it all the way through, but, and it wasn't like that book blink where you just sort of knew what it was about before you, you know, it's about that. I'm going to get this before I need to, but, (laughs) but, um, one of the things that they said neurologically is the way to create a habit is to have a physical sensation associated Absolutely. with it. Absolutely. And I think that 
um, uh, the act of memorizing, like, I mean, sir, everybody has different tactile sensations with it, but I think the furthest away is doing it electronically, mm-hmm. but the most visceral would be like, get like, uh, getting up and walking around or pacing or, or writing, you yeah. know, writing is a very tactile experience. I mean, I think, I mean, as a painter, that's what I do for a living is, is I make marks on a flat surface, yeah. you know, so that I'm obviously really into it. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, I think I have, I mean, I have friends who are visual artists who really don't, who, who lean into that and, and feel like they don't express themselves the way they would like via writing and stuff like that. And so sort of that they, that they use painting as writing in a way that, you know, a writer would look at a painting and say, I can't even imagine being able to express myself in well, that way. Well, I, it's funny you mentioned this because I've been thinking a lot about the difference in similarities between writers and painters because I'm also a writer. I mean, I'm not a writer professionally, but I do, I have written, I have published like 80 essays. Yeah, I would, so I would argue maybe with I am. you. Maybe, I would say maybe that I you am. are 100% a well, writer. Well, okay, so I'm a writer yeah. and a painter, yeah. but I do believe that um, writing is... Uh, painting with words. Mm-hmm. And I think that if you think about a screenwriter, a screenwriter is seeing these pictures in their mind and the pictures are stories and they have this narrative sequence to them and then they're writing them down and then their their product is a um, these images that are living in between sh- sheaves of paper inside words and then they and then hopefully a director or whatever will then paint the you know basically paint them in another color and so when I make a painting I'm telling my own stories but I'm skipping that step Mm -hmm. yeah yeah (laughs) so I get so I see such a similarity and I'm not a screenwriter or fiction writer but I do believe that um writers would most writers I think would really benefit from um vibrating against the act the art of say painting or watercolor or anything like that because it will help them get more in touch with their the result of what they finally think is that am I, I making love sense it. no I think that absolutely makes sense because as you were talking not to say I wasn't listening everything that you were bringing up was were, were these sort of bubble thoughts were kind of coming to the surface for me, which is just even thinking about the way you can sort of compare, you know, uh, like a still life to a piece of great prose or an abstract to a poem. Like this sort of, there are these sort of varying levels of, I mean, now I'm, I feel like I'm getting really esoteric, but like there are these varying levels of abstraction and the way that the viewer or the reader digests stuff and all the stuff that that person brings to the table. You know what I'm saying? It's like you see a film, you're not going to see a film exactly the same way someone else will, but you might see it similarly because you're being handed so much of the vision of the filmmaker versus a painter or a a novel I mean I I I I, on the way over to this lovely podcast I was talking with my mother about tv shows and it's become and I grew up you know very much thou shalt not watch television it's bad for you you know that's how I was raised 
And we, we were allowed to watch Mork and Mindy on Tuesday nights. That was it. That was like my dad liked that the show. Idea that I know, that's permissible, but, but that like, was permissible. Yeah. But everything Amazing. else is off limits. But um, so I grew up without a television, and now I've become completely obsessed with television. And I was talking with my mom on the way over here about the shows we're watching, and it turns out we're watching all the same oh, yeah? shows. Yeah, like, but even some really obscure ones. And I, we could we could spend the entire po- podcast talking about that. But yeah. but. Um, I'm not going to say it's replaced reading for me, but because I still I still read or I rather I listen to a lot of books. But Mm -hmm. I think that some of these shows, because you can binge watch Mm -hmm. has become a uh, it's served to us more, but it's become an experience no different than spending, you know, 24 hours reading Madame Bovary. Right. You know? Yeah. But you're watching the Foresight Saga instead. You know, like... Oh, you're watching the Foresight Saga. Oh, no, no. I I watched that many years ago. I think it's better than Downton Abbey, actually. Yeah. Yeah. No, that 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 series that stars... That's on Netflix, Damien. Yeah, it's it's on Amazon. Damien Lewis. Yeah, Damien Lewis is the star of that. It's unbelievable. Yeah, the Foresight Saga. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Unlike Wolf Hall, where I'm not I'm not into that. I have not. I usually am a total nerd for all the masterpiece classics and the contemporaries. And I, I started watching that one and maybe it was because I was watching it like on my iPad in a hotel room traveling, but I just, the tempo's off. It's I not think. from, yeah, yeah, it just felt, it almost felt like <laughs> it don't, sometimes I, I sort of project back to, to the kid who was very eager to like certain things and and but just felt too removed from them and 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 that's how I used to feel about masterpiece theater when I was a little kid like my parents were into it and so I wanted to get it and be interested in it but I just couldn't like lock down on what was happening and now I I sort of look at stuff that I watch or I enjoy and I'm like oh I can see how this young person I was could not have connected to this and I enjoy that I've matured to a point where like this feels fabulous to me and that is an example of something where all of a sudden I felt 10 and I felt like I was like you mean with Wolf Hall yeah yeah why am I not like I can't chomp down on this did you ever feel I want to did did you ever feel that um Woody Allen in you know midnight in paris i was born in the wrong era feeling you know that's a, a really great that's a great question i'm excited to turn that back on you um i think oh, that's a tough question certainly like many girls and many women i've had on the podcast i was obsessed with anne of green gables so i had this sense of i should be wearing boots that it takes a long time to button up and lace not to and, mention the corset and, and the, the corset yeah, yeah. and yet i should be sort of like scrabbling around in the forest wearing those clothes <laughs> tearing petticoats and whatnot jane Eyre, yeah, jane yeah, Eyre, yeah. yeah sort of like because i certainly love being outside as much as the next kid it's not like i was fragilely sitting on the edge of a chair with a cup and saucer you know but um but i also feel like i was tomboyish enough in other ways uh just being on my bike all the time that are, you, I, are you and i the same person I mean, <laughs> did, you have that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. did you feel like that so yeah. i felt like i was fascinated by other eras but i i didn't necessarily feel like i could have dropped into one what about you i mean i i i think because i read so much and and there was no genre when i was a kid of YA. Yeah. Young adult didn't exist. Yeah. Basically, I was reading, you know, The Fountainhead and Tom Wolfe and Leon Uris and, you know, Vonnegut. And, you know, I didn't, I wasn't reading a special classification for my small, you know, my teenage brain right. that was 
for me. Right. I was reading literature. Yeah. But I was also, because of the nature of literature, I was reading Windows of the Past. Mm -hmm. So my, uh, you know, my imagination was, you know, really being explored. And I was painting these pictures in my minds of these novels that happened to exist from 200 years ago while living in a modern world. Mm -hmm. If you think about it, I mean, you know, that's what reading great literature is about. You're sort of, you know, and, and, and before photography, books spent a lot more time articulating what people look like. Mm -hmm. So if you read The Count of Monte Cristo, for example, it's so interesting because like they'll have a scene, quote unquote, right, you know, right. a scene in Monica where, where somebody will walk into a room looking for who was just there and they'll say, well, what was he wearing? What did he look like? And then you will get the most, he was f about yay high uh -huh. and he had kind of a nose that had a little bit of a bump at the end and then he was wearing a big velvet hat and, yeah, a, yeah, you know, yeah. like, and then, and the, the frock was, had a navy blue trim with gold embroidery and then there was, like, this would be just lush a page of description. Yeah. So by the time time I finished reading that page, it was like, I could see that guy. Exactly. Yeah, and, yeah. and newer books, since photography don't go into, uh, this is a well, wild generalization, but well, no, you know, I, but I, I would agree with you. And I would say that the exceptions that kind of end up getting made fun of because they stand out are, uh, like sci-fi fantasy books. Like people joke about Game of Thrones, the actual books, like spending so much time on like the food that was eaten or did you, you know, read the, the book? Someone I read, the, I read R. part R. of the first one and I was like, I get it. I mean, I, I, wasn't, I, I didn't, I did, in, I didn't read the books and I have a whole theory on Game of Thrones, which I love about why it's so popular. But uh, what the hell was the point I was making before? I guess what I'm saying is that, oh, I... I felt like I was born in the wrong era. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I thought I, I should have lived a hundred years ago, but I knew full well that I would hate to go through, for example, childbirth or, sure. you know, like anything, I mean, that any know. sneeze is like, I could die from this. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, at the same time, I, and I, I was very obsessed with books that mentioned the invention of electricity. Interesting. So like, in, interesting in Proust, and Marcel Proust's um, Remembrance of Things Past. Actually, that's the old title. They re, they re, they mistranslated that title. Oh, it's really called In Search of Lost Time. Oh Can you gosh, believe they made that kind different. of mistake? Yeah. That's a huge mistake. But anyway. Wow. Wow. So, wow. so In Search of Lost Time, there's all these moments where he talks about this neighbor that like have, has lights and they got electricity. So yeah. they went from candles to lights. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I love, I love, Anything like from a television point of view, like as long as people are driving around on a horse, <laughs> I'm like totally excited. I know, I know. <laughs> I, oh, there's a horse. I'm going to love oh, this show. No, I'm going to love this show. <laughs> the Wolf Hall turns out. Um, now, let me ask you too, uh, where were you, I guess, where were you born, but also like, where did you spend your sort of these sort of teenage formative years? I, I grew up in a little town up north called Mill Valley, mm -hmm. which is across from the Golden Gate Bridge on the other side well. of San Francisco. I and well. I grew up in a town within the town called Tam Valley. And we lived near a long Tennessee Valley Road, which is, I, I named one of my paintings, Tennessee Valley Road. It was just sort of a long road that wound its way all the way to this very foggy, mm -hmm. isolated beach. Yeah. 
And uh, when I was like in fifth grade, I decided I wanted to start to run. So I would run down Tennessee Valley Road by myself. You know, when I think about things that parents would never let their kids do today, you know, for fear of God forbid. But, um, and I was born in New York. My father was a surgeon at Bellevue. He was a resident doing his surgical residency at Bellevue in New York. So I was born in New York and then whisked away at four months old. So I, I don't remember New York at all. And then raised in Mill Valley and then moved here about, you know, a couple decades ago. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. Any, any, I mean, uh, these guys know I obviously having lived in San Francisco and still having a huge attachment to it. Um, that the experience for me of having only been when I first went to, to Northern California, I was 13 and I had grown up going to uh, Southern California because my dad's best friends lived in La Cañada. And so we would come out and do like the sort of Disneyland trip. And we had family who had a beach house in Ventura. So we would have like sort of a week in Ventura. Um, but my understanding of the coast in Northern California when I first visited there was like, to me, that felt like home. To me, I was like, oh, foggy. No one's on this beach. I have the whole <laughs> beach to myself. It's freezing. I don't need to go in the water and I'm not here to get a tan. I just want to be this sort of young tortured person who's like i just want to walk on the beach and feel deep thoughts and it's great and it it was so beautiful where i grew up and um it just was one of the most it was sort of the epitome of the idyllic idyllic 70s 80s childhood except for that all of our parents got divorced like within a three-year period like it was like they would say something's in the water here because like between 1979 and 1984 every person i knew's parents got divorced everybody was having affairs with everybody oh wow and i made i made stormy i was totally but well but it was in the sun and it was you know yeah um it just was that part was painful, obviously, but I made a whole show about that. Oh yeah, it was called Mom's Friends. I did a whole painting oh, show because I had this. I have a daughter, and my daughter was like coming into my closet and watching me dress up to go out, and then she'd like put on my shoes and her on her little feet, yeah. and walk around the house in my heels, clunk around in your heels, sure, so cute. And I was thinking about what it was like when I was a kid, and I just remembered my mother, and she, my mother's beautiful, she's still gorgeous, but my mother and her f- beautiful friends and their fur coats and their big sunglasses and their, you know, sex, my, my mother would take me to the flea market a lot, and she there was a guy, there was many, there were many people that had old hardware from like vintage hardware Mm -hmm. and they had faucets Mm -hmm. and you could get a hot and a cold faucet Mm -hmm. and that, you know, those handles, those white, those white handles. And my mother would buy a bunch of pairs and get rid of all the colds. And she used to string the hots around a ball bearing, you know, like a keychain necklace. So she'd have this, this faucet handle right between her boobs that said hot. <laughs> That's like preempting like juicy couture or something. Oh yeah, no, sort and of so campy. She was hot, and yeah. she still is hot. Oh, that's but, so funny. But so yeah, I I had a great I had a great childhood. But I and and, you, and were you an only child? No, no, no. Okay. I have a brother and a sister who okay. are awesome. And are they older I, or younger? Were younger. You I'm the oldest. The oldest. Yeah, I'm the oldest. Um, they um, when when I said when I made the announcement that I was going to move to Los Angeles. Everybody looked at me like, are you out of your mind? Because Northern California hates Southern California. Right. Very much so. Like, it's just sort of a sneer and a ugh and a thing. And 
I had a couple cousins down here, but I, and then when I went to Berkeley, I would drive down to visit LA, and I'd come uh, crawl out from underneath the blanket of fog that is San Francisco. Yes. That's and the blanket I'm always excited to I crawl lo- under when I, I drive lo- up there. But I love Los Angeles yeah. so much. I'm like the 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 zeal of the recently converted. I yeah. just love Los Angeles. Yeah. So now, not to like tell their story, and I don't want to. Um, like be disrespectful about it. So you can shut me down in a heartbeat. I'm, but I'm interested in what you were talking about, about this sort of like, um, rash of divorces that happened. Is that, I mean, when I think of Northern California, I think of that era too. Is it like a bunch of very well-educated kind of emotionally aware, like maybe overly alert and over overly everybody's like, an am I happy? Like creating yes. angst sort of like that, that time when it's, it, it's, it's maybe the first generation where you're really allowed to nay encourage to go like, am I dissatisfied? Am I getting my needs met? And sort of, and it's all about creating you first. that. Yeah. That's such a good question. Um, I have a very funny way to answer it. I think, um, so, so see, I think just sort of in America at that time, the um, the baby boomers before the baby boomers were my parents. That group of people that all got divorced were, bef- uh, they were one generation a little bit above the baby boomers, so they were in a smaller generation, and my and so they grew up in the fifties and they grew up with that was American graffiti with the sweat, the twin sets, cashmere sets and the poodle skirts yeah. and the drives in with the roller coasters and all that grease. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And, um, and so my dad used to call it, he, he used to call it the great pussy drought of the 1950s <laughs> and, and you couldn't get laid unless you got married. And it was a very, <sighs> Puritan time and people were very this and then they you know a bunch of East Coast and Midwest people moved to this little town Mill Valley that you know doctors lawyers you know they were all young professionals yeah and um, suddenly they're there in the late 60s and the the 60s are happening they're young they're newly married and they're looking around the pill was invented and everybody around them. That's just a little bit younger is screwing their brains out, (laughs) taking drugs, having a ball and they're, they're watching that and they're having a, you know, Wally and the beaver, you know, they're having like this, this leave it to beaver, um, trying to create this family that they knew about in the fifties, which where divorce was very uncommon. Yeah. And, uh, and then they sort of went, well, hey, what about me? And they're doing S seminars and gestalt therapy. My mother ended up becoming a therapist. Yeah. You know, everybody's doing group therapy. They're going to Esalen. They're doing, they're, we, we built, uh, my father built in our backyard a stained glass geodesic dome. Oh, 25 wow. feet in diameter. Oh my gosh. I'm going to give you a picture of it oh to put on gosh. the Facebook Oh my gosh, yeah, 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 you have to. With a 12 foot in diameter, huge hot tub in the middle. Oh God, this is with, amazing. With stained glass, because oh he was really into Buckminster Fuller. Oh my God. And stained glass, um, it was all stained glass, the That's dome was. Amazing. And we had hanging ferns and macrame chairs. Oh my God, this is like, I just want to go I know, in there it, now. It's, it's where we had I wish my I could fourth, podcast from there. It's where we had my fourth grade field trip. Oh my God. You know, so, how so and, and you know people were discovering pot and it was just sort of probably at our house you know, uh-huh. it was probably, 
it was just sort of a time. Oh, and can't. so I think, I think that the, you know, the combination of that generational tectonic shift, that yes, earthquake yes. caused by the baby boomers and the invention of birth control where you, you know, you could have sex without getting married and yeah. or having a baby, you yeah. know, or worrying about it. It led to that. And then also probably the most important factor from my perspective is that um, women's understanding of themselves in relation to society. And it used to be, my mother was, you could be a nurse, a teacher, or, you know, um, a social worker. Like that was your, right. those were your options. And then or suddenly- Or you could go to college you have, to meet your husband. Or yeah, and then get never an MRS degree. Yeah. You, you get an MRS. Exactly, exactly. And so it was, uh, so that's why I think that happened. And I was very much interested in when I did that show, which even though it was a painting show, it was sort of my own, you know, tunneling into the subject of these women were newly discovering themselves out outside of their family and their role as a wife and a mother and sure you know and i think um i think it was a you know it was kind of an amazing time and it just sort of was hard on the kids <laughs> yeah well absolutely absolutely and I'll, I'll i'll stray from this but the last thing i'm going to say about that is kind of what i asked you in the beginning of, of this particular topic which was is that where do those things start in terms of like who can afford that particular that particular kind of change. I'm not talking about like you know um, gay rights things like that. I think that that those things exist in a very different spectrum. But the the idea of where like what generation and where are you in a social class and in a race situation where who are the first people? I don't know the answer to this, and I this could be I could be wildly misspeaking. Speaking of like you know, there's not any colorful uh, descriptions of people in books anymore. We don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> but I'm wondering if like you can you afford to be a feminist? Do you know what I'm saying? Like the, in that the is beginning, such a great question. In the beginning because, of something mm-hmm. like that, it's like can you afford? Who can afford it first? Can you afford it because can you afford to be gluten free? Exactly. You know, it's exactly. like exactly how many people in the Hispanic exactly. community right? Right now in LA that are struggling and you know mowing the lawns yeah. afford to have who special can afford diets. To be organic who could you know afford, exactly exactly you know. those sort of class um uh when it feels like a luxury when it feels like it's a luxury to go to an S class which uh, by the way I still don't I didn't know what that was I watched the Americans which I think is a great show and uh and that takes place right in that era and so they've introduced um in this last season or so these S courses, which, um, it's such an interesting window in because you see so much of that. Um, this is like the most meta episode I've ever done, but (laughs) I feel sorry for like a 15 year old girl who's like, why are you talking about cars? Cars. Um, no, but like to, to see that sort of, um, to see all of that stuff, like so much of what you're saying is so, was so important and it's so great. And you sort of have to have that disruption of, well, maybe couples that could have stayed together should have stayed together, but that was all caught up in this whole whirlwind of, you know, I have to question this and where do I belong and what's my role outside of this family and stuff. All those things that you sort of look at with couples now, gay, straight, whatever, where you go, well, it is really important to have that communication and it is important for both people to feel equal inside of their relationship and whatever the structure of their quote unquote roles in the relationship are to sort of feel like 
we're constantly moving hopefully towards a place where there is kind of a balance and there isn't a feeling of being trapped or a feeling that one person makes all the decisions or what have you. But, um, so you see something like S and it's like, well, I don't know. There's sort of that now. I mean, there, there are still workshops and things like that where it's very kind of emotionally intense and it's, you know. well, I mean, it's, it's, uh, I just got out of a parent meeting before I came here and the, a couple of the mothers were talking about introducing and systematically introducing meditation into the school Mm. and I think that there is some version of it but it's much quieter I mean we basically if you think of like a tsunami like the one that hit you know Thailand or whatever just like a huge 70 foot wave that's the baby boomers you and I are younger you know a couple generations younger we're in the we we are in its wake and the baby boomers have completely transformed that just huge boom um our perceptions and about how to deal with things internally. And I mean, I have a whole, um, perhaps, I think that there's something so important to the crucible of self, the, the, the self, the crucible element of the self. I've never even said these words together before, so I'm not exactly sure if it's going to come out right. right but right. I think that to constantly break that open and make all of your feelings and demands known as they're happening. I mean, not your demands, but when I was growing up, the therapy aspect was, well, let's sit and talk about it. Let's talk about the feelings. Let's have a therapy. Let's have a family therapy session. Let's like, we did all of that. And, um, I came away and now that I have my own family feeling like, you shouldn't uncover every rock on the beach, you know, some of these feelings you'll get through and, you know, maybe it should just be an internal activity. And I think that a lot of, um, uh, I think a lot of therapy can spend a lot of time going backwards or into the past. And I think that, I mean, you know, I've got to be really careful what I'm saying here. No, but it's, it's really just, hard because I am a huge believer in therapy, but I also, and I've talked about this before, I don't know, it's every person's line is different of how much they need to explore before they move past it. And it's not about digging and dredging, you know, it's really tricky because it is so subjective. And, but I, and the thing I was going to add to that too, is like this idea of like how much of your parents' feelings and thoughts and their business is appropriate is still for like, you to know yeah, a kid. it's still yeah. like a huge question mark for me because I think some, some, some of it is like Goldilocks, like some of it is, not enough because there's just not there isn't that trust in a connection where there there should be and then some of it is like oh no you can't your parents can't be your best friend they can't tell you about their but, money but, problems but or their the, sex uh, problems the, when uh, a child. the 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 kids that i grew up with and we like i said all of our parents pretty much i can't i really can't think of maybe i can think of two families where the parents didn't get divorced and mm. this was all within like a three or four year so period um all we all started to immediately at too young an age arguably see our parents as people and not as parents and they started dating i remember when i was dating my parents were dating and we would go on double dates you would oh yeah oh my oh, god for sure whoa yeah that's a trip and then all through college i would double date with my parents i mean you know like that's if ama- I, that's you know amazing. like and, and i, I like would, would need- ever happen now i mean most mostly it would never happen now Oh, I, well, yeah, maybe not. It just was sort of like, it just was, I mean, 
we were also raised like wild animals in a way. It was sort of like, we'll see, you know, we'll see you when the street lights go on. Yeah. Or, you know, just come yeah. home for dinner. We yeah. didn't know what our kids were doing. You know, they didn't know what we were doing. And we would be out in Boyle Park on our mountain bikes, riding around, you know, yeah. in Mill Valley and Tam Valley, riding, going down Tennessee Valley Road, doing whatever. Sure. But we just were so free and yeah. we weren't scheduled. I mean, I had Hebrew school, but that was about it. Yeah. Well, did you feel now in terms of who you were as a teenager with that sort of liberal freedom? Did you feel like you had a rebellious streak? Did you feel like you just were so much in charge of your own world that you didn't test limits in the same way that somebody with a more rigid upbringing might, you know, I don't know how, I mean, for me, these guys know I've just sort of let go and been painfully honest about my drug use when I was little, just cause it's something that happened to me. But, um, but I think part of that was this sort of response to, you know, the world that I was living in. And I don't know if I would have been the same way if I had a different upbringing. Um, I think that the lack of freedom that kids have today is really sad. I really do. I think it was really important um, for my, and I think the lack of connectedness that I had where I wasn't constantly, you know, being, I mean, you know, I wasn't worried about publishing something on the internet. Right. I mean, it just, you just sort of, we just were kids. Um, But I think that it made me the artist that I am, you know, I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. My, my, uh, my dad, especially, he really wanted me to be a surgeon. And so every Sunday morning, he would take me to rounds. And so I would visit with the patients. And this is my daughter, and she's going to be a doctor, you know, so I thought, so I sort of, I had my own internal rebellion and struggle, which was I was going to go be a doctor and make my dad happy. And you know, be a good person and contribute to society and all the things that were were important values that were given in my family. But I really, but I also thought, oh, and then I'm also going to be an artist and I'm going to do them both, you know, right. or I'm going to, but I, but you can't go to medical school and, it's you know, consuming. I mean, you can't, it's just, yeah. So, um, were you painting when you were a teenager? I was that kid. Yeah. I was constantly like, I, when I got elected to student council in middle school, the first thing I did was change the school colors because they oh, were yellow and green that's great. and I wanted them blue and white. Like, you know, I just was, yeah. I was, I designed the yearbook and I did, I was always, sit down, sit for me. Let me do your portrait. Oh, that's so cool. And I was always doodling. And yeah. so I was definitely, it was so obvious, you know, what I would end up doing that yeah. it's funny that they wanted me to be a doctor. Well, when did you have that? I mean, was it a, a gradual conversation uh, or was it failing some kind of chem a one a in Berkeley? Maybe several times really helped the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to send you a message. No, no. I mean, I, 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 but it, it took years for me to realize that that was, I mean, I think volunteering in the emergency room really helped me say, you know what? I mean, this, mm. I'm going to, and I did a lot of visualization exercise because this, this haunted me in my twenties. Like, should I be a doctor? Should I go do the classes that I missed in order to apply to medical? Like, um, but I think that I did, I did something really interesting that I've, I've never really said out loud before, but I was seeing a shrink and I was really torn about what I was going to do with my life. It was in my early twenties and I went, I did this visualization exercise where I, where I lie down and the, the shrink would say, she was a psychologist. She would say, close your eyes and you're going to wake up 
and it's 6.30 in the morning and you're going to, you are a doctor. So tell me about your day. And she'd say, okay, she would stop me if I went too fast. She'd be like, okay, what are you going to put on in your closet? Like, so we, wow. I'd put on my clothes. I'd hit my alarm. What, what did my alarm clock look like? Like for two days or three days, three sessions rather, we walk through this day. Isn't what's interesting? Who's, who's your first patient? Describe yeah. her. What is, what's wrong with her? Like, you know, the whole thing. What's your receptionist like? Like, you know, tell me about your, are you going to go into surgery? Are you going to be a surgeon? Because I wasn't sure if I even wanted to, you know. And then, um, so then after that exercise, we did another session, s- series of sessions where I wasn't a doctor. I was something else, but I didn't know what it was. Mm. So it was like, okay, where are you? you? Hit your alarm clock. What does the alarm clock look like? Now what are you wearing? You know, what, 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 what socks are you putting on? Sure. And in my, um, in my vision, I was working in a warehouse somewhere and there were all these people that were kind of like creatives around me. And I was sort of like the leader in this, this, and, and it was, it was bright. It wasn't in a hospital fluorescent light setting. Yeah. It was like, it, there was uh, a lot of natural light. Yeah. Natural light was so important. And, um, and I was living in San Francisco at the time and I was engaged, you know, and I was, I had my whole life kind of planned out for me. And that was when, after I did those series of visualizations, that's when I um, realized that I was living the wrong life. And like, I had to move. So I moved to Los Angeles. (laughs) I moved to Los Angeles and I'm just going to be an artist. And then within like six months, that visualization was true. Oh my gosh. And that was like this job. I was working in a warehouse downtown by the toy factory. I was working with all these artists and engineers. It came true. And I know that I'm not, if anybody who knows me, you know, would say, I mean, I'm literally, I'm the opposite of a woo woo person. (laughs) You know, I don't believe in astrology. I'm just basically kind of show me the money, you know, like, yeah. And, and visualization is really a powerful tool. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's, um, Boy, yeah, we really could have like six offshoot podcast episodes about all the things that we're talking about. But because I know, because the one thing that popped in my mind was like, I love the section that you created on the Huffington Post that's art meets science. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just such a fan of that. Uh, and so that's one of the things I love about your sensibilities is this sort of idea that the, all, the, all the things can belong together, that there isn't this sort of separation that uh, you choose, like you have to choose what you're loyal to. Are you loyal to, you know, art? Are you loyal to science? Are you lo- uh, and and what is the art of science and what is the science of art? All that kind of um, mixing, I think, is is so exciting and it just brings a different energy to all of those things. Speaking energetically, woo-woo. Um, but I think, uh, yeah, the idea that you, that ultimately maybe it doesn't matter anyway, but but the idea of visualizing something and and, you know, not having a sense, like people who believe that you, you know, have the, 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 in mysticism who may think that you saw the future versus somebody who's like, no, you, you created that future for yourself. Um, ultimately I think the idea of us, it's, it's about the meaning that we assign to our own gut, to our own, you know, and giving yourself the opportunity to connect with that part of yourself, which many people still don't do, you know? I mean, we live, we have so much freedom now that we're terrified by it. And, and, uh, it's really hard to, to, to light on the all, we're all these little hummingbirds and, and, you know, it's, it becomes very difficult to light on something long enough to have that process where you're really 
imagining what your future world is going to look like and what feels right. Especially if you've just gone through a four-year liberal arts education, which is really an of-the-mind learning experience and you're very mental as it is like you become when you come out of college you can't write you can't write for shit because you've been learned this writing style that isn't the kind of writing that people or businesses or publications want Mm -hmm. it's either too purple or it's, it's 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 not until you get in the real world that you can really learn how to write because writing college essays is it's it's wonderful i was an english major but um, I think that when you're used to being very solipsistic and very kind of theoretical about everything, and then you have to use that those theories to try to decide what to do, but you haven't done anything yet, mm-hmm. it's extra difficult. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I saw so many kids that didn't decide that they wanted to either be a doctor or a lawyer and go right from, you know, uh, college to grad school. Like some people were heat-seeking missiles, great for them. But for those of us who weren't, who were liberal arts majors, it it was sort of more difficult because you were trying to find your way. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I think think that that period of life, for the people that didn't exactly know, like you could basically, you could make a great movie – or write a great novel about everybody's life from 22 to 30 because of what they have to go through to find their way. They're all like Jesus in his lost years, you know? Yeah, yeah. They're like those seven years. Right, right. Um, I have to give credit um, where credit is due with on another thing that you mentioned with regard to the art meet science section. My father, uh, his name is, was Leonard Schlein, and he wrote a book called Art and Physics. Oh, wow. And so he was writing that while I was at Berkeley. Mm. And it came out when right when I graduated. And he was giving lectures all over the place about the connection between art and science. And he was promoting this idea that the scientists and the artists are saying the same thing in different mm. languages. Love and it. he basically went all throughout history and showed how Picasso and Einstein and, you know, Niels Bohr and, you know, all, all the different scientists and artists. And so this was just sort of woven into my DNA. And um, he died six years ago in two weeks of brain cancer. And when he died and he, he's, he went off to become an international bestseller and, you know, all big and amazing. And he died right as, and I I had a weekly column for the Huffington Post as he died. And that was the last column that I wrote was about his passing. Well, when he died, he left a manuscript of his last book, uh, which was unpublished uh, on the brain of Leonardo da Vinci. So, um, he said as he was dying, you know, the most important thing for me is that you publish this book. This book Mm -hmm. has to get published. So my siblings and I published the book. I mean, we didn't publish it, but we got a traditional New York publisher, Lions Press, and it's out now. So Leonardo's Brain. Oh my gosh, that's so amazing. And it's going to come out in paperback in the fall. And it's about the the intersection. He basically uses... Leonardo da Vinci, who is one of the greatest scientists and artists mm-hmm. in history. Yeah, he really embodies it so much, doesn't he? As sort of a proto-man of what we need to do to save and become... It, he, he believes that Leonardo sort of represented the evolution of our species mm-hmm. as a human. And I think that one of the most exciting things about the time that we live in right now 
is that technology is, which is a science to, you know, it's scientific to a degree, mm-hmm. is cre- has helped really bridge the gap between art and science. And it used to be that all these programs in college, you'd have the science in one building and the art in the other building and the artists and the scientists never talked to each other. And now you have all these STEAM, what was STEM programs, science, technology, engineering, and math is now STEAM, science, technology, engineering, arts, and math. And so, so much of the art that I do and the things that I write about are about that combination, you know, and I think it's just, it's great because scientists know people that are scientifically minded know that they need to develop that other side of their brain and vice versa. Absolutely. And also just, I mean, I think it's worth noting from a sentimental perspective that you obviously were very close to your dad, you know, here he's taking you on rounds and here he has this sort of idea for you to, you know, create a legacy of sorts with your career in that way and to sort of have to break from that part of it, but to still have that connection with him on such a deep level about the work you do and the work he does, even though it's vastly different, um, at least in terms of where he, where he reported in for duty every day, you know, until he retired or, and, and was, yeah, well, he eventually started like getting up at five in the morning and writing for a couple hours and then going in, cutting people open, sewing them back up, (laughs) go home, edit a little. And then, you know, he, he, he was truly amazing. And it's just, uh, the book and and so when i when i when i stopped writing my column for the huffington post where i was interviewing artists not unlike what you're doing i just basically every week would interview a different artist and or write essays about being an artist um ariana said to me darling you know why did why did you stop your column and i said because you don't have an art section and she said then you started. It's <laughs> so great. So like I looked her in the eye and I pointed at her. I said, well, you're going to hire somebody to like help me. Yeah. You know, like I'm not going to quit being my day job, you right. know, to do it. But so when I started the art section, you know, that now is the biggest art section in the world. That's it gets like so cool. millions and millions of page views. A month. I mean, it's just really exciting how it grew. Yes. And then we went on another walk a couple years later. And we were talking about, um, my husband was upset. Uh, So do you remember when they discovered a particle that they thought they discovered a particle that travels faster than the speed of light? Yes. This was like four, three or four years ago. And my husband was looking at the television. He was yelling and he was saying, I knew it. I knew it. They always said that something, you know, would go, um, couldn't go faster than the speed of light. And here they found something that traveled faster than the speed of light. I knew I was right. Ever since I was a little kid, I knew I was right. Now my husband's real name is Albert Einstein. Yes. I don't know if you knew that. I did know that. I married Albert Einstein. So so he's yelling at the TV and I was telling Ariana about my husband, Albert Einstein, yelling at the television about this neutron that travels faster than the speed of light. And she just wheeled around at me and she said, you should start the science section. And of course, being the daughter of the author of Art and Physics. And I went, oh, okay, I have to do that. And I have to do it in honor of my father who had passed away. So I started the art and the science section and we had, you know, Buzz Aldrin and all these Nobel laureates and scientists and the guy who won the Nobel prize for discovering dark matter. And, you know, 
just this amazing lineup. And then I thought, okay, I'll do it. But I want to start a section called the art meets science section. Yes. I'm so glad you've given me the opportunity to explain that long and winding road. But that's how that all came about. I think it's huge. And I think that's like, you know, one of the cool things about, um, about, uh, well, I guess about the internet broadly, but also about, you know, the Huffington Post is that, um, guys like I don't know if you're like me but sometimes I feel intimidated and overwhelmed by things that I have a cursory interest in but I feel like you almost feel sometimes like you have you're it's almost like when you get out of college and you want a job and you can't get hired for anyone anything because you don't have the experience yet it's sort of that same frustration or that same feeling where you can kind of get in your own way because you have a curiosity about something but when you kind of try to find out more about it um, at first glance you feel like ugh, I already feel like I'm supposed to know all of these other things before I in can order find to out about in. this thing that yeah. I have this kind of wonder and curiosity about and it can kind of kill that momentum for you and I think that if you check out the pages that we just talked about now I feel like I'm doing an advertisement for HuffPo but um but if you check out those pages I really feel like there's something for everyone and I think it fosters the curiosity in a very positive way and it doesn't expect you to be a Nobel laureate on you know tiny things like I can't sit here and talk with you about what dark matter is off the top of my head but I know that there are a a myriad of different ways into that subject and one of them is really going to click and connect for me do you know what I'm saying And probably by the way through art absolutely you know oh my gosh the one that I was that I was had just been looking at recently when I when I knew you were coming over a few days ago um I was like god I want to revisit that page I haven't looked at in a while is um was one where you where the the North America is superimposed on all of the other planets in our solar system and so you can see like you see North America superimposed on Jupiter and by god you really get a sense of how big Jupiter is you know it's just like those sorts of frameworks like well how do we how can we communicate you know this huge concept that kind of gets lost in the shuffle with like the most rudimentary of visual you know cues and i just think it's i think it's really cool i think you'll go on there and you'll you might realize you're really interested in something that you didn't even know you were interested in and i think that's that's huge you know if if if, if, uh for those of you who are listening it's huffingtonpost.com forward slash news forward slash art dash meets dash science and also if you just go to google and say huffington post art meets science you'll get there too it'll probably be the first like link that comes up yeah um but uh i can't believe how i I can't believe how fast this has flown by i i I can't are we done well i gotta get into this mash game and then we're gonna be done i mean it's been an hour already i wanted to say one more thing before we there's always room there's always room so because i want to i want to make sure people know about your show and yeah so in the very beginning of this podcast, we were talking about whether or not we were born in the wrong era. Mm. And so I have done, I've a lot of some, a lot of my painting or I've gone through periods in my painting where like I focus on fashion or costume as a language within painting. Cause I find it so fascinating. I mean, like for me, the tutors was couture porn. Yeah. You know that. And don't worry, a- by the way, my first question ties right into what we're talking about right okay, now. Good, so good. don't even worry. So, um, so 
I have a show up right now at the Cooper building downtown, which is sort of the hub. It's in the fashion district and it's, it's the hub where all the headquarters of Mm -hmm. all the designers in LA have their offices. And so they commissioned me to take over the lobby and do whatever I wanted. I'm like, what I'm look, I said to him, look me in the eyes. And I made that, you know, (laughs) Robert De Niro, where I put my two eyes on his eyes. You know, I said, I get to do anything I want. And like, you're going to pay for it, you know, like anything. So I did these, um, fashion, I did these, uh, I took pieces of my paintings of fabric where I painted fabric and I cut it out in a collage form and I draped it on vintage dress forms. You know, this this is so beyond up my alley. I got to get down there immediately. And then I created an eight by eight foot welded steel sculpture that's hanging from the ceiling. That's a gigantic skirt with these big muscular legs. Oh my God. I can't wait to see this. And, uh, and, um, I was thinking about that time in terms of being born in the wrong era and everything about why was I associating fashion with this era, which was so constricted to women and, you know, what binds us and what also allows us to express ourselves. But I just sort of was really interested in um, going to this extreme silhouette we had where we had these insane balloon skirts, you know, crinoline and these, you know, these hoop skirts as, as it being a symbol of the architecture of of fashion, like fashion as architecture. And I was doing it within an architectural space. Yes. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm so excited to see it. That is, that is just, that is like, you know, I mean, no surprise, no surprise there. No surprise that that would be exciting to me based on everything else we have in common. But, uh, for my first mash question, I would like to ask you, you get to travel through time Mm -hmm. to visit three different eras, uh, name three. Travel through Which, time. By to- the way, you're not going to get, you know, the croup and end up dying. Like you're in a safe bubble of observation. Well, I, I mean, you know, I would love to. Um, well, I would love to go to the like clan of the cave bear. Mm-hmm. Like I would love to go to prehistoric time mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where we were, you know. And I would love to be at the moment where somebody had the idea to make a needle and thread. Oh, sure. I mean, like. You know, like somebody looked at a little teeny piece of bone with a hole in it and had like a strap of leather. I think that's a huge moment. That would have been like, that's up there with fire. I agree. And it's not ever discussed. We talk about hammers, but nobody's talking about like I think the needle and thread would have been. Oh, that's brilliant. Brilliant. So that's one period. Great. Um, Another time I would love to have visited is... um, you know, England and around the 15th century, you know, but definitely in the court. Yeah. You know, I'm sort of a snob. (laughs) Thanks for your honesty. Yeah. Yeah. No, I just, I, I just want it. I would want to be, you know, I'd want to have, I want to, I would want to attend one of those meals and I, I love animals, but where they put like, you know, the pig and the chicken (laughs) and the, and the hen and the, you know, the penguin and the, you know, like, like, the pheasant and like I would want to see what that looks like just yeah. one of those meals where it had like well it's a tableau, nine animals right? inside one dish you know? <laughs> so where like that, so all funny. the th- all the different animals were eating the yeah. other animals as a part of the dish um, you're eating this tail you're eating this tail listen it's a stronger connection to where sh- stuff actually comes from like it's real easy to eat ground beef these days for many people because they don't have to look at a giant cow on a oh, table absolutely and, and then s- third one okay so the third 
era that I, I don't want to rush you through, but no, I know that I, you probably have somewhere to be. So I'm just going to get um, real fast. The third one I would like to be is, um, I would have loved to have watched. I mean, I think it maybe Moses getting really pissed <laughs> and breaking the Ten Commandments from yeah. God. Yes, like yes. that would have That's been the like ultimate, that. That uh, would have been like teenager. Are you like you couldn't keep it together? You yeah. had a break. I mean, didn't if those you know like I just. <sighs> That's great. The whole golden calf moment yeah. would have been pretty cool. That's great. That's okay. great. Okay. Next one, uh, pretty basic. Three places in the world uh, where it would, be, it would be fun to have a vacation home. Do I have to have been there? No. Okay. Um, a vacation home. It would be really great to um, have a vacation home in Udaipur. Okay. Like, you know, just sort of like go to India, mm-hmm. be like be on a lake and Mm -hmm. you know um i'd love to have a vacation home in santa Ynez. okay it's up the street basically it's right below santa barbara practical very gorgeous i love it up there yeah there you go there's like a little town with one stoplight and yeah i um, gotta love that and then you know paris perfect gotta get that in there okay next one will be um we didn't talk about the shows that you're watching but uh but because we're sort of talking about it as this um uh, it can this can be the sort of immersive intimate experience give me three t- characters from from any of the shows that you watch just three that you find compelling even if you don't remember what their what their name is you can because i always forget p- characters names which just seems stupid giving my line of work but um <laughs> but like three compelling characters that you would love to sort of spend a day with for whatever reason well um Let's see. I, I I have to be careful because I don't want to say somebody's like because they're hot. My <laughs> husband would get mad. <laughs> well, you're in trouble because there is an alternate universe. Uh, oh, there's an alternate like question. Romance, oh, romance question. Um, no, it's always very tricky to navigate those waters. Okay, okay. Um, um, three characters I'd love to hang out with. Well, let's see. I guess I would like to hang out with. Um, uh, in Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. I'd love to hang out with. Um, I don't remember his name I'm either. Sh- I never. You remember know the one name. that has all the great lines. Um, he's a dwarf. Oh yeah. Okay. So Peter Dinklage. Yeah, character. Peter Dinklage. Of course. Yeah. Um, he's fascinating to me. I love that character. It's a great character. Um, I'd love to hang out with um, Ehrlich Bachman on Silicon Valley. Great, because that great, guy's great. just hilarious. That's a documentary, by the way. Oh, amazing. I, I can tell you that yeah. show is a documentary. It's a real thing, yeah. Um, and then I, I better think of a woman. Okay, so I would love to hang out with um, Shosh oh. on Girls. <laughs> That's so funny. Because I would just like to watch her talk. I sure. just love the way she talks sure. in that frenetic hurry. Yeah. 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 Boy, I definitely. It's funny. Nobody, I, nobody put those three together. Oh no! Shosh, Ehrlich, Bachman, and out. Peter Dinklage. Nobody, nobody, nobody. That's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> That's a terrible dinner party. Yeah. I love it. Um, okay, next one is. Uh, well, we'll just get it out of the way. We'll do the sort of alternate universe. Now, this can be an alternate universe sexcapade. It can oh. be an alternate universe sort of companion partner. It could be alternate universe. If you were gay, you'd want to be married to this woman. However you want to frame it, it's the sort of love element of this uh, this total other dimensional thing that in, in no way is a threat to your wonderful husband. 
I was, I used to have this mad, I've had two really heavy, I've had three heavy, so this is like a romance, right? Or like a love affair, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, my three big. And it could be like Robert Redford circa. I'm going to tell you, this is so easy for me. I was spent many, many years obsessed with Beethoven. Like I read every biography. I went and visited his home, his grave, like the four homes that he lived in. I played on his piano. I used to play classical piano. I I was completely obsessed with Beethoven. So that's one. Um, The other man that I was completely obsessed with, but I think he might be gay is, I mean, I probably, I shouldn't say that, but is Ivo Pogorelic, who played Beethoven so well. Oh, amazing. And he lives today, and he's an incredible classical pianist, and I've seen him perform maybe five times in various continents, and he's absolutely brilliant, so I'm obsessed with him. And then the other person that I was obsessed with for years, like all through college, I would have dreams about him, is David Bowie. Oh, great. These are so I think great. I think David Bowie is, oh, are they all musicians? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's interesting. Talent and icon, like talent and, and iconic. Yeah. These iconic people. Yeah. I love it. These are all great. Um, yeah, let's then, of course, it. my husband, who, you know, is, I was obsessed with talent. him. I was obsessed yeah. with him, and then I married him. Yeah. So, yeah. Always fun when that works out. Yeah. Um, okay, next one is, <clears throat> this is very easy, one of my favorites. Three foods or drinks that uh, either are inaccessible to you for whatever reason, because you had this, you know, amazing burrito once in central Mexico. I don't think any of that is probably true, but, uh, but uh, or a food that you adore, but it gives you acid refill. Three foods that it's like, without any consequences, you can have them at the snap of a finger in perpetuity. Without any consequences. Zero food. consequences. Well, I mean, you know, I'm, I love to cook and I love great food. So anything, you know, I would love to eat like Grand Marnier Souffle. That's Amazing. one of my favorite desserts. <laughs> and never get fat. Ah, wonderful. Um, and I'd love to eat eggs Florentine every morning oh, because I love God, it. God, I love an with, eggs Florentine. With hollandaise sauce <gasps> and a little spinach oh, and everything like that. So good. And, um... And well, my, I mean, my favorite, my favorite snack is Granny Smith apples with um, aged Gouda oh, sliced on top. But give me a bunch of cheese. I sure. know, I love cheese. Really, yeah. if I could just eat cheese yeah. forever, I'm it putting would this be on fine. here. Yeah. Unlimited cheese. Yeah, unlimited, unlimited cheese. cheese. Um, okay, next one, uh, and I'll get through these quickly. Next one is um, uh, a figure from history: a writer, an artist, painter, uh, musician. I know we already covered the sort of crushes, but um, how about a female? from history uh that is sort of your mentor that you can call you know it's through time they understand your world you understand theirs but it's just somebody whose character is someone that you would love to be able to call and say like what should i do about this or oh there's this is so easy hildegard van bingen okay she was a medieval um she was a philosopher a composer a writer a doctor you know, she, she, if you buy any of her CDs, they're incredible. She, oh, wow. she's sort of like, I, I, there was a period where I was a real medievalist and I really loved that era of music. Mm-hmm. So Hildegard, great. So basically Palestina is a little bit earlier. No, Josquin de Pre. Like anyway, I, I, I could, I'll sound like I'm name dropping, but nobody will know right. who I'm talking about. <laughs> that is sort but, of what's but Hildegard Van Bingen has this, just this beautiful, simple, I mean, beautiful medieval music it's not gregorian chant it's much more sophisticated and if you want to get great recordings of her i love um anonymous four okay all right so hildegard is is uh she would be the the one i would call and she was also kind of a badass because she was like 
she was a true pioneer and she, you know, I only know this from reading biographies and watching uh, documentaries and movies about her because she was such an extraordinary person. But she wrote a lot of letters to the male thought leaders. Oh, wow. uh, At the time. And they have a lot of them. And she, you know, it was sort of like she never shrank from she saw herself as an equal to them and did and, and, and addressed them thusly and behaved thusly. And I think that's, I think that so many people are afraid. I think everybody's sort of a little bit afraid and I get a little bit afraid sometimes. Absolutely. But, I certainly do. But I think that, um, I think it's all about balls and it's ironic because usually the people that are not, um, it's usually people have the most to offer are, and they're so thoughtful that they're the most self-conscious about whether or not it will be received well. And that it's the people that in some cases have the least to offer, but they have more gravitas Mm -hmm. and, you know, and so I, I think that it's really important to kind of constantly tap into the part of you that just completely believes in yourself Mm -hmm. and, you know, have a voice and, 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 and and give yourself that, that credit and that courage to do it. I love it. Give me two more strong women. Uh, that oh, I have to do two more? Well, you know, it's like a process oh, of elimination, okay. which um, will happen quickly. Well, I mean, you know, every now and then I think to myself, what would Beyonce do? Great. So Beyonce. Couldn't be more great. Be. Yeah, she would be good. Gorgeous. Um, and then uh, I wish I could be more knowledgeable about the Bible and say something religious, but <laughs> I, I'm just not. Um, That's really okay. Um. I would say, oh, do they have to be, they, they have to be dead? No. Oh, oh. Beyonce's not. Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> you know, my mom's pretty awesome. Great. Love it. I love <laughs> my it. mom, if she can be alive, then definitely I I'd call let's, my mom. What should I do? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. And then, uh, last two categories. Next one is, uh, 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 paintings, um, works of three painters whose paintings you can actually go into an experience as well, a place. Okay. Annie Lappin without Agreed. question. She's agreed guys. Check out the, she's Annie one of my uh, favorite painters living today. And she happens to be a dear friend. I could, but, agree but I'm not, but I mean, I basically stalked her like a crazy person so that she would become my right. friend. <laughs> so it's not like we're friends and I'm promoting my friend. I basically was, it was like, I, caught the bird yes you know yes so she's oh boy, amazing i get it yeah i get it she's uh, in that salon group i was telling you about uh so I pay, other that painters least. that i'm mm-hmm. you could drop you can drift and drop right into their well their you know i i first i was going to say david hockney because i love david hockney but i actually don't drift because so much of what he paints is about what I'm seeing. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't necessarily fall into them because mm-hmm. it's either a portrait or a landscape or, you know, um, so, and I mean, I guess, and I guess you, many people probably say Gerhard Richter. Well, first of all, I don't ask this question. Oh, people, oh unless, they are. Unless okay. I know that Gerhard, they, Gerhard that they Richter know, and I is, think that's a wonderful choice. Yeah. I mean, but there's this other artist who's also living, who's also German named Daniel Richter, mm-hmm who's great oh you know okay sorry forget the richters i threw him i'm throwing out the richters throughout the richters Richters. uh um herbert brandel another german he makes these incredibly gigantic abstract Mm. atmospheric paintings 
I think they're absolutely amazing. And then there's this other artist who's also a filmmaker that I love, also German. I don't know what it is. You love the German painters. Germany. I, I didn't even mention Germany. I know. Um, William Sass, Wilhelm Sassnall. Uh, I'm really into. Oh, oh, oh! And I totally forgot about Peter Doig. This is a separate podcast. It's a separate podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, yeah. You've got Annie. You've got Brandel, and you've got Sassnall. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Okay. And then but the f- Doig is, you know, Peter Doig is pretty awesome. Honorable mention. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. And then the final, uh, the final is, uh, you can have uh, three musicians and or bands. Um, appear and play live for you uh and in a way that isn't weird and uncomfortable um <laughs> music uh wherever and whenever it's almost like you have your own sound well, i just discovered i i don't normally like rap mm-hmm. but i just discovered this artist uh mac miller mm-hmm. and i think he's amazing All like right. absolutely amazing so i think i would love to hear him perform live there we go david bowie of course Got but i would bowie like to go to ziggy stardust years maybe great, like i want to see him in full glam great yeah great. okay um, and, uh, it would be great to see like one of the musicians from like, you know, America. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you remember America? Yeah. yeah. Like just, they, they're from like the 80s, 70s, yeah. late 70s, early 80s, but you know. The sort of grand anthemic kind yeah, of like. Yeah. I mean, but I like, I love vocal, you know, singing. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. I love I'm going to put America in here. Yeah. Why not? Put all America. Okay. Okay, so the last thing I have to do, this doesn't, it's not really a big deal. It's just, I'm going to do, ugh, the phone, really? Guys, hold on. Phone, the phone, how unprofesh. Okay, uh, so this is the way that I tell you which of these you end up with per category. It's just sort of a hash, hash mark situation. So just tell me when to stop. stop great that's all i need that's all i need okay i'm gonna pause this do this very quickly i will come back with your 100 percent guaranteed mash future so i'm delighted with this outcome uh (laughs) you know you sort of me as a mash conductor i get personally attached to certain ideas and i'm hopeful that you'll end up with some of them and i i feel i feel very good about that what has come to pass in this uh this mash game that we've played here together first of all i want to congratulate you on your mansion in santa inez <laughs> awesome. you can just zip right up there it's very practical <laughs> very practical zip right up there whenever you whenever you would like um i want to congratulate you also on if you're uh, in the mood for something a little more abstract than santa inez you can um go into one of annie's paintings or oh, nice. any any and all of annie's paintings and just be uh and exist in the in those beautiful abstract worlds um you are also free to eat unlimited amounts of cheese oh my god congratulations on all the many many cheeses you will enjoy i don't know if there are cheeses that you want to share with uh your friend that you spend a day with the character that peter dinklage plays awesome (laughs) or if you want to share it with uh david bowie's diggy stardust era who will appear (laughs) on command oh and perform for you probably he won't eat cheese because he has to perform uh if you want to share it with uh your alternate universe husband ludwig von Bell. oh my god <laughs> uh or if you want to uh share it with hildegard because she's your buddy as well your, <laughs> your mentor and friend i mean you're really surrounded by a lot of extraordinary people here uh and if you feel like you just need to get away from it all and um examine a period of time in history to satisfy that curious itch 
please know that you will see and visit the moment that Moses turns his back on God <laughs> and has a freak out. The Moses freak out. The tantrum over the... You, yeah. you may visit that time. Um, and that, my friend, concludes our podcast episode. And thank you so much. Um, guys, there's going to be a coffee table book uh, that, that Kimberly is having published. That's going to be out next year. So we'll revisit that when the time is right. Um, and uh, I got to tell you, I got to get down to the Cooper. So if you're in the LA area let's go because we got to go see this um this amazing exhibit because everything that was just described to me is like exactly up my alley like i would walk into that building and go who is this and then i would realize it was you and go eh, figures <laughs> can't wait to see it um anywhere Thank else you. can people find you on twitter etc uh my handle on twitter and instagram is artist kimberly b Artist Kimberly B. We told you about the extraordinary uh, HuffPost pages that you can visit. Um, and then everything else is on my website, which is KimberlyBrooks.com. Couldn't be any simpler, guys. Couldn't be any simpler. KimberlyBrooks.com. Um, thank you again. And uh, guys, I'll talk to you next time. As always, the JV Club theme song is Back Before We Were Brittle by the amazing Say Hi. Now leaving Nerdist.com.